Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Small Council. Uh, tonight we will be talking about uh, gaming etiquette and just overall, you know, uh, attitude and just everything that deals with it. We're going to be going over casual and competitive play because sometimes those two topics uh, or those two areas of gaming can be different uh, when it comes to this topic. Uh, tonight we have with us uh, Justin, Brett, and Jose as our hosts and myself, and then we also have Gary Luther on with us, uh, who I know a lot of you guys know. Uh, he's done really well in a lot of tournaments. I know you got uh, third overall at AdeptCon and a couple other big wins under your belt, as well as TOing a ton of uh, events, both small and big. Uh, I believe you also TOed uh, Gen Con. Thank you so much for coming on, Gary. Thank you, sir. Uh, happy to be here. Awesome. So yeah, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about gaming etiquette um, for A Song of Ice and Fire, and this really kind of jumps into most any other tabletop game, so if you're playing other games, you know, keep a lot of this in mind. I know some a lot of other car, or, uh, tabletop games might not have like cards or certain other aspects that we might be talking about, right? but there is definitely a lot that we'll be talking about tonight that you'll be able to take from game to game. Um, so just a rundown of the show, we're going to be talking about A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniature game by Simon. Uh, huge uh, props to Simon for making such an awesome game. And uh, yeah, we'll jump right into the show and talk about, I guess, uh, first topic is attitude. So attitude is, I think, a very big one. It's usually going to be your first impression of your opponent or your opponent's first impression of you. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things we'll be going over, like rolling dice and cards and whatnot, but I think attitude will definitely play into how your opponent reacts to the other topics that we talk about. So attitude is definitely a big one. Just being polite and, you know, presenting yourself in a nice way. I mean, it never hurts to bring some bribes to the table either. I know, uh, you know, in some other games I've played, I've brought like coolers of either energy drinks or water or whatnot and just offer it to my opponent, give out prizes when I can uh, to just anyone I play. Uh, that that can help, but that's definitely not required. Just being overall nice and, uh, you know, conduct yourself in a proper way. So uh, what would you say, Gary? How how would you say uh, this topic is or this uh, subject is? <clears throat> well, I mean, attitude's all about what you bring to the table, right? So bring the kind of attitude you want to play against. Um, biggest thing for me is I approach every game like it's the game I want to go to have fun with. Uh, yes, I play to win, but the, the game itself, having a good game is more important. Uh, winning comes second. I don't want to give my – like, I never bring a cheesy or list that I would – I wouldn't want to play myself. Um, so part of that is uh, when you're sitting down and making your list, making sure you're comfortable with it. But then also uh, when you take the table, make sure that you're playing with the intention of giving a good game. Um, you can lose – you can win a game but still lose, right? If you win a game and you fight your heart out and have a great – and both of you are having fun laughing – that is the best experience you're possibly going to have in a tournament, right? The worst experience you're going to have is winning, but having given a terrible game and been a complete, uh, can I swear on this? 
Uh, preferably not. No hard swears, I guess. Okay. Like if you want to say like <laughs> crap and whatnot. Okay, well, but... be a complete butt. Let's go with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dave, you and I have had multiple very competitive games, right? We played yep. each other multiple times. Um, Almost, I think I all but one ter- major tournament I've ever been in, we faced. <laughs> yeah, we fought each other on the top tables at multiple tournaments, right? Yep. I consider you my worst enemy. Um, just being <laughs> honest, at tournaments. And in, in, in only the best way, right? Because a good opponent makes you better. That's one thing you got to remember. You're going to go into a tournament, you're going to be challenged by your opponent. But I've never set out to play you and give you a bad game or be mean to you. Like, you've never done that to me either. The entire goal, we sit down to it like a chess match, right? I want you to bring your absolute best when you play me. I want you to bring every trick you've got. Because if I can beat you when you do that, and I have, and you've beaten me, it's the best kind of game you can play. So go into it with the attitude like you want to play that epic game. You want this to be that battle that they put in the books, right? Um, Because that's the game... You know, we played each other over a year and a half ago at Adepticon at this point, right? Or a year. Yep. And I still remember this, those games as some of my best Song of Ice and Fire games uh, because they challenged me every single round. That one we, want, we played on uh, Clash of Kings where it came down to the last activation. I mean, it was, it was a challenge to Ten last. Ten-second tiebreaker. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, right? Yeah, you beat so, me uh, by two points of killed units, not even victory points, two points of killed units. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so if you go into a tournament with that kind of attitude, like, hey, I want to sit down and I want to get a competitive game, I want to be a good game, um, that you're going to have a good time no matter what. Even if your opponent sits down and that's not their attitude. The only time I ever have a real attitude as if I'm playing an opponent um, who their number one goal is to, just to win. They do not care about the objective. They do not care about sportsmanship. And those are the people who you're going to have a hard time with. But if you're playing to have fun no matter what, you'll figure it out. And that's the best kind of attitude you can get. Brett, what do you think? Agreed. That's, yeah, I mean, I've played with, I've played with you, Gary. Um, I've played with Dave. Uh, Little known, little known fact is Gary actually uh, dragged me into this game, kind of, kind of kicking and screaming, and uh, you know I finally, <laughs> I, I finally gave traitor, it a go. Okay, you called me a traitor. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I was I was pretty pretty committed to Ninth Age Warhammer at the time, and I was one of the last indie guys from the Warhammer Club to play this game, and uh, Gary is largely responsible for for me playing, so. Uh, you can thank him sarcastically or genuinely, depending on how you feel about that. But uh, um, I think I was no, the first person uh, in Indy to pick it up. You are, and so I was. I was looking for something that could replace Warhammer for our crew um, because yeah, we had such a great. Game. Um, and you, and you found a great game. Yeah, the attitude of that game followed with our gaming club. I mean, it was just kind of a perfect fit, right? So. Um, Yep. And this game, if you bring in that kind of attitude of, like, I'm looking for a competitive game, but a fun game, this game will be rewarding every time you put down that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've had, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had many matches against you. Um, 
I know that that uh, Tyrion list before some of the adjustments they've made to the game were probably a little bit frustrating, but, uh, you know, when we did that Baratheon challenge and uh, I was just fresh out of Gen Con and you just punched me right in my mouth with that Renly Baratheon list, uh, it was, it's a game that stands out in my mind. Um, you know, and just like you said, it's more about the game experience than, than it is about winning and losing. Um, you and I went back and forth and back and forth so many times for those, you know, for several months uh, before the, the store closed down. It was like you would get me and then I would get you. And, and between the two of us, so many times we said, this is literally like my top five favorite games ever. And then we would match it again the next time. And it would, they were coming down to the wire and it was like, we were playing our hearts out, but I can honestly say we've never gotten mad at each other or frustrated with each other. Uh, we played at that tournament. You were on Kimberly's team. You kicked me and John Ailes in the teeth in, in round one, just knocked us out of any possible hope of, of winning that event. But it was all smiles. It was all good. Everything was fun. Um, so, yeah, I think you definitely um, – walk the walk for what you're saying here so and i i firmly believe that and i i have followed that as well and i feel the same way i try to give my opponent a good game always because i mean i'll just echo what you said without repeating everything you said but it is more about having that fun game um than reaching for cheese or or being a stickler for the rules or or saying oh no well you missed your timing window by 30 seconds you know like if the intent is there and i know that it's there i'm gonna let you have the play and that's because at the end of the day if i do beat you i want it to be as clean as possible and i don't Uh want anybody to ever be able to go back and say well Brett beat me but uh he was this way and he was that way and he was a jerk about this and he didn't let me do this and i just i don't even want that at all so firmly agree with what you're saying my all-time favorite quote when it comes to attitude and competition, right, is uh, Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, when I'm sitting down to a table, so when I'm playing Brett, when I'm playing anyone in my gaming club, do your worst because I'm going to do mine, and we're going to let the fates decide the rest, right? But we're going to have a damn fun time while we do it. I don't ever want to come down to, like, you beat me, but I'm just going to complain about the dice or whatever. No, if you beat me, I say you beat me. And that's okay. I'll get you next time. And you better wear a helmet because I'm coming at you. But it'll be fun. <laughs> I'll make you laugh. That's how it works. Right? So if you go to that tournament with that experience. Um, and also, guys, this kind of flows down into also your local game clubs. If you come to a local game club with the experience of, I don't only want to play my best. I want to help my opponent play better. That's how you get good gaming clubs. And you become a better gamer. The reason why Brett is decent is because he plays a gr- good group of people, right? Same with me. Um, that's how you get good. You can't get good just being the only person who's good in your team or your club and smashing everybody around you because they don't have fun. And if they don't have fun, they don't want to play the game very often. If they don't have fun, you're not practicing, right? So what your attitude you bring yep. to the tournament, they should follow into what you bring to your game club. Agreed. Yeah, and to uh, kind of throw this in there to that uh, because a lot of competitive competitive players get a, kind of a bad rap, and it's it's more so because there's that very small uh, sample of them that give 
you know, competitive gaming a bad rap in general is, you know, power gaming uh, or, like, win-at-all-costs competitive players versus just genuine competitive want-to-get-better-and-just-improve-their-skill player. So uh, I think the two get blended together uh, too often, especially if you're a more casual player out there. Just try to try to keep that in mind when you see a really competitive player and try to go past uh, their you know, how often they win and maybe jump into the attitude aspect of the etiquette we're talking about and see how gracefully they win and how much they try to uh, lift up their community. Because if, especially if they're a really good guy outside of the game, uh, maybe if there is somewhat of a, you know, win at all costs feeling in there, maybe they don't even know it. Maybe that's just something that's, part of uh, something that they've gotten used to and don't even realize is there. Um, so definitely uh, try to keep that in mind when you know, maybe you see a competitive player because I know I've had some Warhammer communities where uh, the group in general was very casual and they would kind of uh, isolate and make uh, a lot of the, any competitive, pl- competitive players that came in uh, feel like they shouldn't belong. And that's because they had such a casual view of the game that, you know, anything competitive was automatically seen as, you know, win-at-all-cost players. Now, win-at-all-cost players are usually cheaters. Not always, but usually because they're, you know, that's kind of in the name. They're winning at all costs, even the cost of their their uh, um, uh, reputation. Yep, integrity. So... Uh, and then power gamers are just a step below it. They're not usually the cheaters. They're, you know, they're willing to bend that, you know, that line uh, before breaking it and cheating. Uh, and that's quite a bit different than someone who's just really competitive and just really loves the, you know, I guess, the thrill or the, you know, just the competitiveness of tournaments and whatnot. Uh, so definitely try to keep that in mind when you see someone who's really competitive because it's a shame uh, when someone who is really competitive kind of gets labeled as one of those other two. Yeah, my general rule with that, guys, is two things. First, whenever you, whenever you go to an event, and this is for new guys, experienced guys, whatever, you know, you go to a five-round event, you're going to have three games which are easy. As, I'm not talking about winning or losing. I'm talking about games where everything just flows downhill. They're just good games, right? You'll probably have two games that are considered challenging, okay? You might have one that's considered that guy was really not cool, okay? Um, but in those game situations, the best thing you can do is challenge yourself to play your best game, okay? So when I draw somebody and they're super competitive – and I can tell maybe I got a trick off early and they got, maybe they were cool up front, but then you get a watcher on the wall off and something happens and, and you get them into a situation that they're not happy about and they get very upset. You know, that's when you go, okay, well, this is going to be one of those games. So my only goal now is to play my best game and still do my best to be my best self, right? Not going to be angry. Sure. If, even if they're getting, you know, throwing dice, that kind of stuff. But challenge yourself on those games where you do draw somebody who's super competitive. You know, sure, they might beat you. They might be a super competitive player. They might be a win-at-all-cost player. 
but they're not the ones making the choices in your game. That's the cool part about Song of Ice and Fire is you're making the choices every single turn. When the when the when your opponent goes, it's now your turn to react, right? And if you make the next best choice on that that turn, even if they're super competitive, even if luck is not on your side, things tend to go your way. So don't get involved in the in the in the the moral wind of emotion and my opponent being a real piece of work. Just say I'm going to try and make the next right move, and that game will go by a little bit quicker. You'll see it better, and in the end, you'll do better. Did I lose you guys? No. Um, so, Jose, uh, what do you think about uh, this topic here? Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I agree with you guys, um, the majority of what you guys are saying. Um and Dave, I like your explanation you gave of the different kind of kinds of players you might run into. Uh, for me, I consider myself kind of like pretty pretty casual. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not as casual as Chris. I think Chris is the most casual player I've ever played in my life, <laughs> and uh, it's always fun playing him. But um, which Chris I, is it? Yeah, Chris Sellers. Okay. He's, he's he's on the show. He's he's one of the hosts on the show. Yeah, he um, I don't, know, I don't think he's on. I don't uh, think he's on tonight. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I uh, he, he just, just got he, done playing a guy named Chris in the in the TTS tournament. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, he's usually on with us, but uh, and he's part of our gaming group. Um, he's he's a blast to play. Um, but I would say I'm a little more. I'm like I guess semi competitive. I don't know. Um, and yeah, that's that's a huge turn off when I run into someone like that who's like, you know, you catch him. You catch them like cheating, or they're just kind of being a jerk. Um, honestly, if if it if they're if it's bad enough, I'll just quit. Like, because to me is I'm like I'm not having fun. I'm, I feel like I'm wasting my time. And if you want to win that bad, I'll just I'll just forfeit. Like that's that's, that's me. I don't know if that's the best thing to do, but that's what I do. I haven't done that. I don't think in our group. I have done it before when I played Warhammer. I mean, back in the day, um, and maybe like once in Malifaux just because like people were getting like upset and like throwing things around and I'm like all right I'm not I'm not doing this so I don't know that's something I don't put up with because like this for me this is something that's like I'm pretty passionate about and it's fun for me and it's something I love and so when some when somebody that comes up I just it's like I don't know it's just it's not something I want to deal with I guess and it's not worth like Losing the game, I don't really care. It's not worth doing it for because, like, I, I prefer to have a fun time and fun game. Um, so and 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 yeah, I, I agree. I think it's always you always you know treat everybody respect, um, whether you're winning or losing. And and I'm the same way too. Like if I if I um, lose a game, but like if I had a good time, like it's, it's great. You know, that's I I don't care. I don't like when I'm winning by a landslide because um, I don't think it's fun for my opponent. And sometimes that can come for me. Um, I like the game, or, or vice versa. If I'm like getting like squashed, like you know, that, that, that was, that's never, that's never fun for anybody. Um, the best games, in my opinion, are like when they're close and they're a lot of fun. You have like moments to stick out. Um, so that's 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 what I typically shoot for in a game. Um, and yeah, I mean, but I, I agree with you guys. Um, you know, especially the tournament setting. You don't want to you don't want to be that guy uh, at the tournament. So. I don't know, man. I would never quit a game 
even my opponent being a resort, um, because my competitive nature would not let, like let that play. I also don't believe in conceding a game. I'll play it out until you win. Like, but um, I understand the conceding. Like, if somebody's being really super competitive, but that's where the take play, make the next right play mentality comes in. You can shut like you can shut down and be like, hey, I'm not going to engage with this kind of behavior, but you can still play your game. I, I just, for me, the ultimate loss is like giving up, right, from that game, um, because I, I would would never want to give that person who's being that way that satisfaction. I, I, as a judge, you absolutely hate that. So, um, just coming from the judge to part, I've seen players make complete. Uh, be that way and like I still have to assign that person to being a super competitive person to play people I just hope their opponents rise to the challenge right so uh, no, I, I, I get that and, and I know you're you're more a little more competitive uh, like uh, than I am not in a negative way but like you do you attend more major tournaments and more events and stuff than I do um, and I, 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 so I totally understand the perspective and just to clarify, like, I'll never concede in a game. I'll, like, that's like really the only reason, like this person I'm t- I'm across from me is like losing it, like losing their mind, like just throwing things. It's like, it's not fun. You know, that's, that's when I'll be like, all right, I'll just pack up or like, I don't, I don't even want to do this right now. Um, but like, like other than that, I will never concede a game. Um, I don't believe in that, um, outside, outside of that. And uh, I do, I do get your perspective, and I, I, I applaud you for that, for uh, being the bigger, you know, bigger person uh, when someone faces you like that, and just, hey, I'm gonna just, just truck through it and, and make the better move. Um, I guess maybe it's just me, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't put up with it, especially like in something like I said, like I consider is like for me, it's like, um, like a hobby and like kind of just like a, like a release from like. I don't know. This sound, I don't know. This might sound lame, but like, like a stress reliever from like the world, like the real world. I guess you know, it's something I'm passionate about. Um, so when when that happens, it's like I, it's not what I'm here for. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I I I totally I totally um, understand your point, and uh, like I said, I, I applaud you for that, man. Thanks, man. Just the way I've I've been playing in tournaments since I was 13, so. Just the way it is, just the way I've came about seeing them. Yeah, no, and, and that's, that's that's the thing. Like you know, it depends on on where you're at, right? Like so, there's different levels of uh, like competitive competitiveness versus casualness. So it depends on like where where you t- tend to fall. You know, you may handle it differently. So. I think on that topic, uh, it's also important to note the opposite side of that. Uh, No one's a perfect gamer, and I think coming from me, uh, I know everyone here who knows me well enough can vouch for it. I I do tend to get angry sometimes. It also depends on, like, the game. Um, That just, a lot of that goes down to I'm just kind of an angry person a lot of the time. But uh, I do try to recover from it. I do try to have as good a game as possible if I know or a lot of the times I find myself getting angry at things. I can either calm down or I apologize about it a lot because n- none of us are perfect. We all make or do things that piss our opponent off. Uh, like Dave is the most calm demeanor person that you'll ever f- place against in like a tournament at all. But he does things that anger everybody too. Uh, just, just all of us do. I'm sure even Brett, who's like one of the nicest guys I think I've met 
can probably make people angry. Um, so it's important to note uh, or try to realize, I guess, when when you suck. <laughs> and I, I do all the time, and I try to get better at it. Um, I know some of the best games I've had have actually been against Jose. Uh, we, um, the, one I of was, my most memorable games was against him. I was literally was just a, thinking that. It was the, the tournament, right? Yeah, it was, uh, what, two guys left on both of our <laughs> fields just facing each other, just two infantry, our commanders just looking at each other. <laughs> yeah, we were, we're, won we're by one victory point. point. Yeah, that was, that was that's literally like exactly what you said, one of my favorite games. And that, was, that was great, man. I actually find myself uh, being able to control myself a lot better at tournaments, surprisingly, because uh, I know that I'm going to lose some of those games, potentially, or uh, it's going to be a lot harder. For whatever reason, I get more frustrated when uh, I just have bad luck, and it, it drives me nuts. So I try to, I try to get better about it, and I think everyone should yeah. work towards getting better at it. Having watched you play, though, um, and I'm pretty sure I've PO'd one of your events, but I, I could be wrong. Um, you also get mad at the dice or the situation. You're not taking it out on your opponent. Oh uh, yeah, I don't, I don't ever get mad there's at a my significant, opponent. There's a serious difference. Like, you can be yeah, angry at the dice bad. roll. You could be like, oh, my God, that's terrible. But at the same time, like, your opponent, it's not your opponent's fault. So the attitude should be, you know, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be passionate. I would say I'm a very passionate player. If you guys have, ever, you guys have been around me, you know that I am a loud player. What? But part of that, I think, also <laughs> playing in my personality. And I think it's – I also try to keep it fun. If my opponent – I can tell they're really not liking that. I then quiet it down quite a bit. But I also, you know, for me, that's my tournament way I am, and I enjoy it. Yep. And like you were saying, Justin, we all have something that we need to work on, some more than others. And, you know, sometimes you might not even realize it's there. It also depends on your community. Sometimes your community will have a couple guys uh, or you know, just people in general that will point it out to you or maybe one day you'll just realize it. But uh, we all can improve in some way. I know, you know, for me, uh, I can be kind of a rule stickler and it's not necessarily like stickler is in the way of wanting to take advantage of the game, but it's just more so I want the game to be played the same way for both players because if I'm playing it one way and my opponent's playing it another way, then it's not really consistent. And I know uh, me playing uh, kind of more to the rule of the letter can come off, you know, the wrong way. Um, and more so when I'm arguing it, I'm more, I'm treating it more like a debate, uh, a debate, uh, a debate than I am like a true argument. So uh, definitely, if you ever you know face me in the future, just know that if I'm like arguing a point it's more so I'm debating and I'm more than welcome to be wrong so definitely uh uh what should we call it uh definitely keep in mind you know some of your your downsides and um you know in if you're not even sure if you have any you know ask some of your closest friends to just be real with you be like hey is there anything I can do to improve the enjoyment of our games is there anything that I do that I might not know that I do that makes it kind of unenjoyable? Because, you know, an enjoyable game is key. Uh, like you, I believe you said, Gary, you know, you can win 
and still kind of lose on the inside. And that's sometimes that's kind of how I feel when I crush my opponent, especially if I crush them in a casual game. I mean, it's still not necessarily fun to crush them in a competitive game, but I mean, you're playing so that both players can have fun. But, uh, you know, just keep that in mind. Just, uh, you know, ask some of the people you trust. I run in a non-competitive game. Winning is actually not nearly as important as just having fun for the game because the goal is to make sure your opponent's having a good time, right? Because in reality, I play this game as a social outlet, right? Um, So, and, yeah, I agree. You need to get um, feedback from your friends will help. But the biggest thing is, is, you know, be the kind of opponent you would want to play against. Yep. And then uh, before we move on from the attitude aspect of it, I do want to bring up uh, a very small part in uh, for the new, uh, you know, playing it online for Tabletop Simulator. Um, this is a big one. This this was the main topic uh, or the main issue I had with maybe jumping into Tabletop Simulator, and that's just from bad experiences from playing other, like, card games and whatnot online. And that's, uh, you know, if you play, play as if, you know, do everything you would do as if you were playing in person. And what I mean by that is mostly, I mean, it applies to other things, but mostly uh, leaving the game early. Don't start a tabletop simulator game unless you know you can finish it. If something comes up, then yeah, I mean, it comes up. I mean, it's understandable. We all, you know, understand that things unexpected happen. But don't think just because it's online that it's okay to just pick, oh, well, I'm losing I, I'm let's start a new one or I got to go. It's just, it, I don't know. It's very frustrating for the person that is winning and it's not really, it's not like it's their fault that they're winning. It's just, you know, it, things happen and it just, it creates a bad atmosphere. Uh, when let's say you spent, you have a Saturday free, especially right now when you can't really go out, can you try to get like four games in, you know, as your free time for the day and two, if not three of those people all leave. I've had days like that with card games where I'd get like seven opponents and five of them just ditch me. And you may feel like, oh, well, they can deal with one person leaving. Uh, It's not a big deal, but you never know. You might be the third person leaving uh, that day from them. And now they've had a whole day of these people just dropping like halfway through games. And I'm not saying this happens a ton with Tabletop Simulator, and it might not happen that often at all. Um, But just keep that in mind. Uh, You know, go into the game with the intentions of finishing it all the way through. I mean, ending a couple activations early, be like, yeah, you're clearly going to win. You want to clean up and maybe start a new one or whatnot. You know, or be like, hey, look, uh, I only have time for like one more if we stop right now. Just be very understandable of it. But definitely, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't leave like halfway through or something. It just, it creates a bad atmosphere. Um, And, you know, it, especially if you do it a lot, a lot of people will remember like the name. I know that's how uh, it was with a couple other games. So just keep that in mind. I know it's not always like apparent when, you know, it's happening or you don't really think about it. And if you may, if you think you might have to leave early, you know, mention it from the start. Be like, hey, uh, you know, before, you know, it looks like you're losing because then it's just, it becomes suspect. So 
you know, if you think you might be, uh, you know, pressed for time, be like, hey, I'm looking to maybe get a quick game in. Uh, there's a chance I might have to leave in like 40 minutes. Are you okay with that chance? And if they're like, yeah, and you know, then that that is what it is. So, um, but uh, jumping into the next topic, uh, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about pivots because it's an important topic, but there's not a whole lot to it. So we'll jump into that one because I think it'll be a bit quicker, and we'll get to the some of the more um, in-depth topics. So pivots, uh, pivots are very important in this game. I think most people would agree. Uh, and right now, I'm sure maybe in the future, Simon doesn't like give a, a tool for pivots. So if you haven't bought one, uh, I would say definitely find someone and you know buy a pivot tool. But uh, unless you have one or someone that you know has one, then you just kind of have to do the best you can to pivot. Um, but you know, try to make sure your pivots are okay. If your opponent has a problem with the pivot, don't immediately uh, take it as like an insult or anything. You know, because remember your opponent is across the table, especially if you're pivoting all the way on your side of the table. They're seeing your unit from a different angle than you're seeing it. And maybe they're seeing it at better than you or you're seeing it better than them. But don't always jump directly to the conclusion that they're like super... Um, like strict on pivoting, just you know, try to uh, you know ask what exactly you know calmly. Just ask what exactly was it that you know maybe I pivoted wrong or how much or whatnot. And you know, because sometimes you know you never know. It might just be a misunderstanding, and that kind of goes back to the attitude in a way that. Um, you don't want like a first impression right off like pivoting to be that, oh man, this guy is super strict or vice versa. Oh man, this guy is just laxy, you know, daisy about, you know, they're pivoting. It might just be in a misunderstanding. I've had it before where I pivoted while leaning all the way across the table at basically, you know, because there was like six inches before the mat, like four feet. And I'm not like super short, but I'm on, you know, I'm five seven, so reaching all the way across the table, it's not always super accurate. So definitely keep that in mind uh, when you're, you know, pivoting that there might be a misunderstanding. What do you think, uh, Gary? Any like issues with that, like in, uh, like when you were toing? No, I'd say pivots overall. Um, I mean, you're playing a competitive format. I don't. I think people are much more aware of it than they are in a friendly format. Um, biggest thing is just, again, try your best to be accurate. Bumping and fudging stuff happens. If you do and you're the pivoter, if something is off, then you need to take it as, okay, well, I just, if I, if you made a mistake and you know you made a mistake, so something got moved or fudged, uh, you should take the hit and say, okay, like say it's really close and something is, would then be five inches instead of four inches or whatever. Take the responsibility. You moved it accidentally or not. You, you're going to take the hit on the movement. Uh, that's part of just being a responsible gamer, right? Um, so, and that's usually when you're going for the pivot and you're trying to get it or something. You, you, you've moved the unit, then you move it back or something along those lines. Um, do your absolute best, but if it gets questionable or dicey, um, and if you've, you're the person who's made that mistake, it's usually on you to try to make amend for it. And just, again, keep good sportsmanship in mind when you're doing it. If you're like, hey, that looks a little far for the pivot, 
you know, you can usually figure that out pretty quickly. Um, and just be, just be nice about it. Unless it start, you start getting a very gamey feeling, at uh, which point if you really have an issue, engage your TO. Uh, but try to talk it over with your opponent first. Yep. And uh, Justin, uh, what do you think? Uh, anything you can think of? Uh, well, it's not about pivoting, but I remember one game. I just I wanted to tell this story because it, it made me laugh. I was playing against Jose again, and I went to go just move a unit, and the back of my ruler touched a piece of terrain. I was super tired. And instead of pushing my unit, I like pushed the terrain like six inches back, and I was like, all right, I'm good. And I just stopped doing anything. Jose was like, uh... No. <laughs> I have no idea. I was like, oh, my God, what did I just do? I have no idea what just happened. It's like, you just moved that terrain across the board. Should have. Pretty funny. But uh, I can say the worst game I've had probably ever, um, it was because of pivoting. It was just headaches and arguments about pivoting. And I checked out pretty quickly in that game. About three rounds out, I was like, "All righty, this is how this is going." I guess this here is my phone, and uh, pivoting can definitely be really specific in this game. But um, some people, some of the better opponents, I think, that are more enjoyable to play against, uh, like Brett said, as long as you announce your intention, I think that gets rid of a lot of headaches. Unless it's like you know, if if there's an argument between like how far away or maybe line of sight is really specific, but if it's not that bad of a pivot. If you announce your intention and you guys agree on something, like it's, that can go a lot smoother. And I understand sometimes you got to be really specific, but just talk, communicate. I think is really important when it comes to that kind of stuff. That's all. Good call. I appreciate the effort to announce the intention. It does make life easier. Yeah, I, I picked. I actually uh, I picked that tip up from Gary. So. I gotta, I gotta shout you out on that one, G. The, uh, the whole talking out loud as you're moving and kind of declaring the intent, and then saying like, okay, well, measured here, and you can see that I have line of sight on this unit, and so my intent is to pivot this to get a little bit closer, and we're gonna see if I can get closer, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna measure it where it is now, and then we'll kind of go from there, and just, just things like that. Well, my intent with this unit is I know that I have the movement to do it. I want to make sure that I'm just out of your line of sight, but I want to be as close to this area as possible. And, you, you know, you clearly have four and a half inches with which to do that. And, you know, you make your opponent clear on that, and generally that'll save the argument when the opponent's like, well, I'm going to charge you. Like, nah, man, like I just told you <laughs> I have the movement to make it to where that's not going to happen. So we need to sort that out before, you know, this is done. And it's not something that's really ever happened to me because, like, like I like I'm saying, I, I picked it up from Gary, and it's something that I've always done. Is I, as I'm doing something, I'm declaring what I'm trying to do, as long as it's not like revealing what card I have or something. But it, yeah. it's and when like, you're, would you agree that this unit is 11 inches away? So unless you had a swift advance, you would need a six to charge me. Yes, I can agree with that statement. Then I'm fine with that. If you have a swift advance, then I'm going to eat it. But other than that, you're going to need a six. Just something as simple as that makes the game go by a lot smoother and it, it gives you and your opponent you stay engaged and I think it gives them confidence that you understand what's going on and that you're not trying to screw them basically yeah, I think that's a holdover from Warhammer being honest because when they opened up measuring at any time 
because then they went to the 2d6 charge action. It carried over to this game because we learned to talk everything out because the pivots in that game are much more difficult. Let's go with that. Um, so just if you and your opponent can both agree before and after your move, it makes life easier. And again, like I said, if you bump something, yeah, you, you got to figure it out, just like you talked about with Justin. Agreed. Yeah, definitely, well, uh, you know, if you bump something, definitely, uh, you know, take ownership of it and, you know, you'll have to kind of live with the consequences. Granted, your, you know, your opponent can't just do whatever they want with the unit, but within reason, you know. So, but uh, we actually have a caller uh, that wants to come on and talk about some of the stuff that we've gone over. Uh, so, thanks uh, for Hi. calling in. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I missed a bit of the podcast. I hope I'm not repeating anything that was already said. But um, on the on the topic of pivoting, something that I find um, useful in, in competitive play, especially when you want to be accurate and want to be clear with your opponent, is um, to mark down the uh, you know back two corners of your tray before you pivot so that if you have to go back and put it back in the right position, you can do that. Um, and I always, you know, talk it out with my opponent too. And I ask them that, you know, before you do a critical, you know, a critical maneuver or a critical charge, can you just mark down your dice so that if you don't like your move, you can go back and rewind time and put them back where it used to be. Um, for pivoting, uh, I, I do have the war rig pivoting tool, but before I had that, I used to uh, just mark the four corners of my tray with dice, and then I would pivot around the center, and then I'd ask my opponent, I'd say, does that look okay to you? I don't just do it and then move and, you know, um, you know, before he can check. I always want to make sure my opponent's okay with my pivot before uh, I, I proceed. So I think, as, as Brett mentioned, just making sure you have this open discussion with your opponent is really key. There's no confusion and no gotcha moment, gotcha feeling um, when you're doing this kind of maneuver. Yeah, you bring up a very valid point about the verification. So looking at your opponent and saying, do you agree that that looks right, is pretty huge. And also, that's a really good sportsmanship, just in general. It'll go a long way with any kind of decent opponent to go, hey, just make sure this looks good, are you cool with this? And then moving on, especially if it looks maybe off or, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of a big deal, like switching all, like re- re- pivoting all the way backwards. <laughs> Sometimes can make things look a little off. But being, okay, well, I'm doing this, and I'm going to take my six-inch movement. Um, you know, that kind of verification with your opponent so they know exactly what you're doing. One of the worst things you can do is get in the habit of is just doing it because then you're, there's no level of verification and your opponent's not actually clued into what you're trying to do. And so to them, it just looks like you're just moving shit, moving things around. And that's mm-hmm. when games get really frustrating. So great call out. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Also, I suppose, uh, you know, CMON doesn't like have any measurement for pivoting yet. They might in the future, but definitely, uh, you know, you can use dice or other uh, things to mark where your unit was. Sometimes what I like to do is take like, because uh, I have a six-inch ruler, I'll put, I'll put it just to the back of my unit and line up one like the 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 one edge of the ruler to one edge of the back of the tray, and then just hold the ruler in place, knowing that uh, as long as I don't move that ruler, I know exactly where um, you know that unit has to be placed because it's a straight edge. And you just make sure that you know it aligns properly with the one edge lining up to the edge of the ruler. So definitely, there's tools and little things that you can do 
to uh, mark where your unit was if you don't have a arc uh, an arc uh, for pivoting. So, but I would definitely suggest finding some. Uh, they're very handy to have. I personally don't use them uh, unless it's a tournament, and usually only if it's a at least semi to important uh, pivot that's going to factor like be a big uh, decision on if I can do something. Or, you know, if my opponent really wants me to use one, then I have no problem. I try not to make a big deal if my opponent has, like, a preference of something I do, as long as it doesn't, like, you know, completely impact, you know, anything. Uh, for example, uh, we'll get into it, but, like, dice, they have, like, a, a preference on dice. I try to do my best to accommodate as long as it's not going to, you know, go, you know, go crazy. But um, so to our caller, uh, anything, uh, has there been anything else maybe like in the attitude, uh, sort of, uh, um, topic that, uh, that you liked in particular or didn't think of, or maybe even something you wanted to add? Uh, hmm. I, again, I do apologize. I, I went, I meant to catch the podcast at the beginning and I missed the, the first part. So I'm sure you talked about, you know, dice etiquette, picking up your misses, uh, you know, clarifying that, okay, I rolled eight dice. I got six hits, degree six hits, just making sure that they see what you roll. Um, it was more yeah, so like, I, um, edit, etiquette, like, uh, your, your demeanor, not necessarily like your tool, like dice or measuring, but like, like how your attitude is, your, you know, how, um, how you are to your opponent, you know, just like your your attitude mostly. Oh, I see. Um, you know, it's funny because I think I change my attitude based on my opponent. So if they're a stickler, then I'm a stickler. And if they're loose and willing to forgive a mistake, then I'm loose and willing to forgive a mistake. Um, I think my default nature is I tend to be tighter with the rules. So if you forget a trigger and, and it's past that trigger point, uh, I generally say, I'm sorry, it's too late. But if I forget and they're willing to forgive me, then I'm willing to forgive them as well. That's a great point. Uh, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, I hate feeling pressured into letting my... uh, This is coming from a a competitive standpoint. If it's a casual game, that's much, much different. I'm much more willing to just say, yeah, just do it. But if it's competitive, I'm the same way in the sense that I don't like being taken advantage of. If something big was missed and my opponent wants you know, a redo, I mean, uh, I struggle with it all the time. I want to tell them, okay, but I cannot tell you the countless times that I've said, okay, and it completely screwed me over in the game and I would lose it. And then they wouldn't want to return the favor. And so my, you know, my instinct tells me to say no, but I really want to say yes. Cause I, you know, I don't want to be viewed as that player that is, you know, like, nope, sorry, like, seeing, you know, un-empathetic, uh, is that the word, of my opponent's, you know, uh, mistake, so, I would, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, I, I would go the opposite way on that. Um, I agree, by the way, about mirroring your opponent's attitude. That's one of the reasons why attitude is so important in the game, because a lot of people, communication is mirrored in a lot of ways. So if you come to the game really aggressive, your opponent will also get aggressive. But I would rather make the mistake of giving my opponent a take back or if they make a mistake or being like, okay, well, this time it's cool, but next time, you know, I'd rather do that and it come back and bite me than ever be the player that I wouldn't want to play against who is like, 
nope, mistake happened, sorry. Like, I'd rather lose and be a good gamer in that way. But again, it, like I said, if I do that and then you, you're like, hell no, then I just know for next time I'm not going to let it happen again, right? Um, being honest. But most of the time, you do it and then your opponent will also do it for you. I'd say that's the case in 80% of games. The 20% where it's not, and that's okay. I learned my lesson on that game, but that lesson will never carry on to my next game because I always want to bring the best kind of game for that next opponent. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think it you're, also, you're, for, I, me, for me, it comes down to the severity of it too. If it's something that was missed a while ago, or not necessarily a while, but like two activations ago, I think part of me also kind of goes back to my uh, card gaming um, experience, and I go to, okay, is it fixable without ruining the game state? If you can, you know, if it's like, oh, man, I forgot that this card was supposed to do two auto wounds to you if you had, like, devastating impact, and it's not going to change anything, like, if you just remove those two guys and or maybe it was a healing effect, um, then it's like, something like that it's like yeah you if it was automatic and it was just forgot by both players but it was clearly stated then something like that i do my absolute best that it's fixed if it's not changing game state if it is changing game state it just depends on like how severe it is if it's like oh man if we got to change this and then that would happen and then that would happen and this would have been different then it gets a little trickier but um, but that's that's something to definitely bring up to your opponent at the beginning. Be like, hey, are we are we forgiving like small mistakes? Are we not? Is this like you know that way? You know, there. If you do that, then there's a less likely chance that they ask the question of, hey, man, I forgot to do this. Can I do it? Instead of being put on the spot. Sorry, I, I think I heard someone else uh, that was about to chime in. Yeah, I think I think I largely agree with Gary as far as that goes, and it's kind of dependent on the situation. So I'll give a couple like uh, really specific examples. If my opponent was to say, "Well, I'm going to charge these dark sworn swords. I need a four, and then they roll the dice and they roll a three, and they were like, "Oh, well, I should have played devastating impact so I could get a reroll." Like that's not okay. However, say I go into a turn and I'm I activate a unit and I haven't done anything yet. And as I'm doing something, they say, oh, I, I meant to play surprise strategy here. Like, I haven't declared what I'm going to do or thrown any cards down. Like, yeah, that's cool, man. You can play that card. Uh, you know, situations like that it, where they haven't seen the outcome and then they want to go back and fix it after they've seen it, that's not okay. If they haven't seen no, the I, outcome, I, I, I think that's okay. Yeah. yeah. In the case of a failed dice roll, like, it totally wouldn't make sense to go back on that case. But, like, I can't tell yeah. how many times Brett let me go back and mark targets after I've declared an attack with another unit. Not before I've rolled yeah. the dice. I'll be like, oh, crap, I meant to mark target over here because mark target has to happen before you declare the attack, right? Yep, which so is fine. And that's stuff fine. like that goes a, it goes a long way, but, um, you know, again, I would do it for Brett in that situation. That's just, just to me, that's generally good sportsmanship. I would not, in a super competitive environment where my opponent is being a real stickler, I wouldn't expect it. But at the same time, um, I would do my best to make sure, like, the first time something like that happens, I'd be okay with it, as long as yeah. it's reciprocated. 
But I largely it's agree. a game. A lot of people get very nervous. Yep, and a big one that's forgotten. And I'm actually, I really try to remind my opponent, even though it's often to to my disadvantage. In Fire and Blood, as soon as they activate their commander, I'm like, you're going to activate your commander. Who do you want to put the victory point on? I don't like tell them what to do, but I just say, well, who are you putting the victory point on? Because I play so much, like it's second nature to me. But it might not be second nature to somebody else, and that's such a big swing in the game. Like I just don't think that I would feel okay at the end of the game if I was like chuckling, you know, kind of in the back of my head, like, yeah, I won that game, but this dude didn't put a victory point on one of my units. Like I could never like live with that. You know what I mean? Like I want the game to be as clean and fair as possible. So I try to remind them. Some people don't want to be reminded about stuff, and for whatever reason, I guess that goes the opposite way. Uh, we know a guy in the club, Gary, I won't name a name, but if you, like, remind him of his rules, like, he gets mad at you. Like, I know what my stuff does. Like, cool, man, I'm just reminding you. It's cool. So if my opponent was ever like, hey, man, I don't need you to remind me of this stuff, I got it. Like, then I would friendly and, and kind of remind them of those things and, and give them those options. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen the mistake, though, of uh, forgetting to do something that completely makes or breaks the game. I wasn't playing in the game, but I played next to it. It was, it was the old Clash of Kings where somebody didn't have a battlefield commander, so they had to nominate another person, another battlefield commander. And when that died, it would have totally ended the game there. But that person forgot that rule. And it came back to bite the other person. So um, I know that's a real, those kind of things, like, it's very important. If you know the rule, if you can help your opponent to remember them, even if it helps, even if it hurts you a little bit, like that mark, the getting your, when you activate your general, put the token out, that's a big one. Uh, But it also goes towards good sportsmanship. A lot of tournaments, sportsmanship is very important. At all of our tournaments, sportsmanship is an award that's almost as big as first place. I think it's also, um, uh, I guess not important, but Varus is something I know I have to remind people about a lot uh, to to activate the NCU without touching the board with them yet, if I have Varus or whatever the case. So that way uh, I have an opportunity before I know what their board is to see if I want to stop it, which benefits them as opposed to me. Good call it. Yeah, Justin, and you actually won. Playing. You won. I was going to say Justin won. Justin won best sports by like a landslide the first time you guys came to Indy. It's like Justin is by far the best opponent. I'm still surprised about that to this day. <laughs> like I said, you get comedically think... angry at the situation, not your opponent. Yeah, yeah that's probably you. true. It, like it's like I'm laughing because you're angry at your dice, or I think that one. Remember we had the the doubles tournament where we had to get the random teammates. That was, that was, that was my me and Brett. Favorite game. <laughs> remember that? That game was great. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot on the show actually. <laughs> at a certain point, you, you, my my poor teammate, you killed his mountain, and then I was like, you realize you're both dead now. Like it totally happened. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> we had the worst army possible to play against you. We had like five cutthroats with Roost, and I had pyromancers with uh, the old T-34 
Tyrion attachment that was like terrible for three points. I was like, I'm just going to bring it. It'll be fun. <laughs> like we just got upended that entire game. So it was worth it though. No, it was. It was. It is the. It is my favorite ass kicking I've ever taken. It was good fun. Killed Gregor with a panic check. <laughs> that was the, yeah, that was the top table of that of that team tournament. Basically, we kept pairing. The first place person would be paired with the person who's in last place, and the second place person would pair with the person who's second to last. So I think, Brett, were you in second place and I was in first, and then we got paired. Yeah. With, I got paired in last place and got paired again second to last. I got dead last yep. in that tournament. <laughs> but yeah, not it was, proud of that. that. Double tournaments are the best. If I had one shout out, double tournaments need to happen more often. Yeah, I love doubles. I am terrible at doubles. <laughs> They're just fun. Just the the whole nature of the like you go into a doubles event, there really shouldn't be any stress because it's like oh yeah, you're just. Some... Just running You're just some really for fun. combinations that that would never, should never happen. Uh, screw it. Uh, the the pyromancers have swift advance. That's fine. That's normal. <laughs> We're just gonna roll Bell. with that. That's fine. It, it's it's just fun though. And and uh, yeah, there. It was honestly one of the things I was looking forward to the most at Adapticon. So I hope that. Uh, future larger events do work in some doubles events, and if they don't, then after hours, I will always, always be up for a team game. I just love team games. Plus, you, you just drink, and it's, it doesn't matter. None, none of this matters. This is a team game. It doesn't matter. It's just fun. Yeah, we we should see if they'll do a blind doubles tournament because the blind doubles tournament is the one that sticks out the most in my mind. I, I, I like that idea. Sorry, Agreed. I definitely like had fun. Uh, we were talking about pivots, so I think we covered that pretty good. Uh, so, like I was mentioning, pivots are really important, and they're easy to mess up. And uh, But I still felt like, you know, a quick, uh, you know, talking about that was kind of important because uh, I know, like I was mentioning it for, when I first brought it up, is that, you might not be knowing that you're pivoting the wrong way. And some people to this day I encounter, usually it's some of the newer players, but instead of pivoting, they're more so doing like a wheel. Uh, and I know some games have wheels, and it's not necessarily, you know, uh, like that out there that they, you know, are doing, you know, are they're doing a wheel instead of a pivot. But uh, to move on to the next topic, though, uh, we'll talk about uh, cards. Uh, just the tactics deck in, den- in general. I know a lot of tabletop games don't necessarily have like a deck. They might ha- they might have some sort of card mechanic, especially like you know unit stats and whatnot. But like an actual deck that's being treated like it is a card game, um, where you're shuffling it, you're drawing X amount of cards and whatnot. There's not a ton. I know there are some out there, um, but uh, I figured it was uh, definitely worth bringing up uh one thing right off the bat just allow you know after you shuffle your deck allowing your opponent to cut it you know just giving them the opportunity and i know there's some people out there that don't care and they'll be like no that's fine but still presenting the deck to be cutted cutted uh to be cut is a really good sign of you know of sportsmanship to show your opponent that there's nothing you know fishy going on 
And especially if you're not from a card game background, uh, it's presenting a cut is mandatory in most card games. It's just when you have a tabletop game with a card game function, uh, in my opinion, the card game aspect uh, of, for rules and etiquette should be in the tournament document. I hope it is introduced. Uh, and there might be like one or two references in there, but I mean like a, a complete you know, rundown of how cards should be worked and what should happen if you accidentally do this or do that. And I know it sounds kind of strict, but it's really to prevent the the people who would take advantage of the lack of rules. And that's why the card games have the rules to begin with. So, for example, I know, and it's not usually intentional, but uh, maybe a downside to accidentally drawing too many cards uh, and I'm not saying like an all, you know, an outright, oh, you lost the game. But if you, I know in other games, if you draw too many cards, then, and you don't know what card, or you can't prove what card it was because you drew it and put it into your hand, then your opponent uh, in some games gets to uh, randomly pick one. Sometimes they get to randomly pick two. And sometimes they're just outright removed from the game. Uh, and the reason being is some card games, you know, the discard pile, you know, they might have a mechanic that pulls them from the discard pile, and so they're getting a benefit without you realizing. Getting a little off tangent on on it, but I think uh, there's a lot of, like, etiquette to, you know, to uh, the deck that a lot of people don't realize, because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that have never, like, done an actual, like, TCG, like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, anything like that. And just allowing for a cut is just, you know, it's good form. Um, another thing to keep in mind for a cut, you can cut multiple times. So that's something I do uh, to kind of give away my strategy, which I don't do 100% of the time. I cut twice. So let's say you present me with your deck. I'll cut it into three piles. So basically your top remains your top and your middle becomes the bottom and your bottom becomes the middle. So, and the reason I do that is just kind of like, I don't know if you call it superstition, just like I don't want to change what my opponent's top three cards were going to be. I want it to still be that while still getting the benefit of a cut. And other people have other ways, especially if they're from a card gaming background. Some people cut it like five times and people have tried claiming that that's technically a shuffle, but it, in uh, most TCGs, that's not a shuffle. That's still a cut. Um, you're allowed to cut basically as many times as long as you're not intertwining the cards to form a shuffle. Um, but in a lot of TCGs, you're still allowed to shuffle your opponent's deck, um, but you can't, then, you can't shuffle and then cut. And let's say you present me with your deck and I shuffle it, you then may cut it because I touched or because I shuffled it. So, um, but yeah, those just some like card game backgrounds, you know, stuff that uh, I would love to see implemented um, and, you know, kind of added to, you know, the tournament doc. Because there's, there's some things like uh, what we we're talking about with the pivoting, you know, if you pivot or if you bump something, your opponent gets to do something, you know, gets to kind of correct it because it was your own fault. The same should apply to cards. You know, if you're drawing too many cards by accident, 
then, you know, there should be some sort of a uh, penalty, I guess is the best way to put it, to, I guess, correct it in a way. Now, if you drew a card and looked at it but didn't put it in your hand, usually the outcome is you show your opponent and you put it back on top if you drew too many. Uh, that way it is knowledge of what card it is since you have knowledge that you shouldn't have had, but uh, your opponent will also have that knowledge. So, um, But uh, um, what would you say, Brett? Well, it's it's actually funny that you mentioned that because uh, I think maybe our guest will remember this situation. But uh, in the round three of the qualifier, I was playing on top table for the uh, for the win in that specific qualifier, and uh, Gary was sitting next to next to me and just watching this game just unravel so badly for me. It was horrible, and I ended up getting so tilted that I was playing Tyrion, I played adaptive tactics and like my mind was just so blown by, by how badly things were going for me that I threw adaptive tactics down and I picked up my entire hand of cards and dealt them to myself. And then I looked down and I was like, Oh my God. So, so Gary has to come over and like try to sort this whole mess out and I don't remember exactly how it ended up getting resolved. Like my, I was just so tilted. I couldn't believe I did that. Um, I don't know if you, if you remember that Gary, do you remember having to come over? I think you had to reshuffle my whole deck and then. Yep. uh, I, I, it was ridiculous. For the most part, um, that Gen Con, Gen Con was a hoot. It was an awesome overall. It was a last year went very well. Um, but yeah, that, that was a nightmare, Brett. <laughs> not, Dude, not, I, not a good thing. I but couldn't believe it. Yeah. So, and he still, he lied. You lost that qualifier terribly. So just making sure we're all clear. It's not like I yes, was, I, and it was form being favoritive. It was more or less trying to figure out you had two cards and you've messed everything up. Also, yeah, your NCU so, cards got shuffled into your deck too. So that was great. Yeah. It was horrible. I, it was, like, from the start of that game, I, I think I just got so rattled by playing on the top table. And then, at the time, you had beaten my Tyrion list so many times with Night's Watch. And then I'm facing this Night's Watch player. And it's like, from the beginning, I started getting my face beaten in. And it was like deja vu. But that was Is that a Night's Watch player with, like, five units of Sworn Swords? Or Sworn Brothers? Yes, it was four units of Sworn Brothers. One unit of trackers, Varus, Craster, and uh, Bowen Marsh. Who have, that, that list is now like a forty-five point list, but at the time it was very much legal, and it just oh, it just wrecked my face. Yeah, there was absolutely no possible way of me winning that game, but it was just funny. My, that, that day my biggest thing with cards and this game. So this, cards are replacing magic for most other games, or a psychic phase, right? They're supposed to add a level of... It's one of the best parts of the game, in my opinion, right? Because it adds a level of chaos, right? Does he have it? Does he not? It's that poker element, right? Trying to read your opponent to say, okay, well, I'm going to put this, do this thing, and if you have this card, then I'm hosed. But if you don't have the card, I think I'm good. 
So it's kind of like that, that poker element. Um, Dave takes this to a technical level that I don't think I could go anywhere near because I've never gotten into card games uh, besides being bad at poker. Um, biggest thing for me is shuffle up. Um, make sure that you are you do, you do offer the cut in a competitive game to your opponent. That is required in any tournament I run or I've seen in any of the bigger tournaments uh, that you do have to offer your opponent to cut your deck. Um, I learned this the hard way from Mr. Meckler. Uh, make sure that you have sleeves on your cards. Um, I made a mistake once where I had a car- I kept my cards in a zippered bag, and a couple of my John my my Nightwatch cards got hit by my zipper, and so um, I ended up having to replace those mid tournament because um, you know you don't want anything marking on your card, and a sleeve prevents that, right? Um, just little things about that and just card etiquette uh, to make sure that your cards are in good condition. Um, yeah, but Agreed. And uh, for the to kind of jump on the sleeve part that you're talking about, keep in mind, keep in mind especially if you have the, the really awesome Game of Thrones sleeves uh, that are available, I think, by Legion brand, uh, they're awesome, and I use them. But after you play with them enough, the the image will peel. Uh, so what I actually like using um, is sleeve covers. They're basically a sleeve that's big enough that the regular size sleeve will sleeve into them. And I, I actually triple sleeve my cards, not necessarily for protection, because obviously they're not worth that much money. It's just because I'm used to 60-plus card decks, and so 20 cards is very small and awkward for me to shuffle uh, just because I'm so used to shuffling 60 plus card decks that I triple sleeve to give my decks bulk so that they feel thicker uh, but also to protect that uh, that standard sleeve from ever uh, peeling uh, and then all I ever have to replace is the sleeve covers but sleeve covers usually the material is you know if as long as you buy the good uh, like KMC brand or whatnot uh, a lot of times I just take like a, a wet paper towel and I'll clean them like once every other month and they'll look brand new. Uh, and then I never have to replace any sleeve uh, and never have to worry about any sort of like chipping or uh, like fr- uh, fraying, whatever you want to call it, uh, peeling back of the image. Because um, that's definitely, I've had that in card games before where I've gotten called on just not even simply a peeling card, but any that are transparent. Uh, you're not even in a lot of card games. You're not even allowed opaque sleeve, any opaqueness at all in your sleeve. So if you can see the back of the image of a card, you can't even use that. And the reason being is because there might be a small little scratch somewhere on one of the backs of one card. Like they're pretty strict about it. Uh, and I know it might seem kind of nuts uh, and too like like strict, but it's really just to prevent because. You would be surprised if someone who's a genuinely good person, but then they just, you know, they get that little bit in them or they're like, oh, well, if I'm just cheating in this small little tiny, very insignificant way, and then they get away with it and then they do more and more. It's kind of a, you know, an unfortunate trap. Some people can fall in, even like very good people that, uh, you know, they just, they get, trapped in this like spiral of you know cheating and it just gets bigger and bigger and you so they just to prevent the temptation at all it's just 
one hundred uh percent um you know opac like opaqueness uh in order to prevent uh any you know uh marking is what they call it any marking of the cards so you can't stack your deck in any way or know what card is coming up uh and it's just to prevent uh the people who would cheat and to help prevent uh the temptation to or even maybe it's a complete accident uh, and you didn't know it was marked, but then you know it is marked, but then you're like, ah, I don't really need to change it. And it's kind of like one of those, you're sort of cheating, but not really necessarily intentional. So it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that uh, definitely is not an issue for casual games. I've seen so many people play with marked cards in casual games and I could care less. Uh, it keep mentioning, you know, having fun is very important, and especially if I'm playing casual and I really could care less if I'm going to lose in the end. I get a lot more relaxed with that sort of stuff, but in competitive, it's, you never know who's the cheater. I mean, granted, if it's someone you know really well, then you're probably willing to just kind of let it go, but if it's someone you don't know, it's, you know, it's best to just kind of avoid the situation altogether and just, you know, get some sleeves. They're pretty cheap too, you know. You can for like ten bucks get a pair of standard sleeves and sleeve covers and uh as long as you unsleeve and resleeve your new decks if you really are on a budget, you know, you shouldn't have to buy any more. It might be extra work though to have to unsleeve and resleeve all the time. But um, you know, for me, coming from a card game background, uh I have uh, just because also with my OCD, I bought, I think, six uh, <laughs> Hero Box 1 for uh, neutrals, and I'm waiting for more Hero Box 2 for neutrals just so I could have all of the commander cards sleeved up in all of the different factions. That way I never have to sleeve or unsleeve ever again, um, and they're already just ready to go. It's like, oh, I want to play Ramsey in this faction. Well... I have him sleeved up in every faction sleeve, so I don't have to worry about swapping them out. Granted, I then sell all the extra models to kind of make up the money that I spent doing that, but that's just my OCD right there. That's definitely above and beyond and, like, you know, just kind of crazy, but, you know, my OCD takes control sometimes. So um, uh, we do have a caller on. Uh, he is uh, more of a beginner, so he wanted to kind of give uh, his... Uh, kind of background on, or his perspective from being a, a newer player. So, thank you so much for uh, calling in. Yep. Hey. Can you hear me, guys? Yep, you're there. All right. Uh, yes, uh, uh, first of all, uh, thank you, and uh, you show, uh, I hear you almost every every week. Uh, all the points you guys bring in and all the help that you guys uh, uh give to everybody an advice is, uh, is amazing. Um, so, yes, I'm uh, pretty much, this is my first major game that I ever played. Uh, my background pretty much come from, from playing Yu-Gi-Oh! for almost uh, 15 years. So I know pretty much uh, all the tricks when people have trying to cheat, when they're trying to use the cards mark even people know how to count them and know which cards are the, the specific ones that you need i always hate that and playing Yu-Gi-Oh because people is just like 
so eager to win no matter what. And I think it's, it should be like a roll of the dice, a lock, skills. That's the thing that should like take you to win the game. Not just because you want to be the first place no matter what. You want to have the cards you need and you want to deny your opponent everything. It has to be like, I don't know why it always that it's always that happened. And I was surprised in this game when I go to my first tournament. Of course, I lost. It was a horrible tournament to me. It was like uh, I have only one win of five or six rounds. So it was kind of like, oof, it, it was tough. And I have one of the players that was also like just pretty start. He has uh, the uh, start leads, uh, the ones that you mentioned. And the cards have in the corner a little green mark. But not all of them, just a specific cards. And he was playing with Brandon Sally. So I noticed he has a like, devastating impact and uh, set for charts mark all the time. And I was like, this is kind of weird sleeves that you have right here. And, that's, and he was like, oh, yeah, they come like that. Uh, sure. Of course, even with the cars that he won, he had it in hand, he was no particular skill with Brandon Telly, and he's uh, he's a uh, List it was yes pure defense, pure defense, not nothing else. One where it means is this is like completely slow. So I was able to surround him like very easy, and uh, pick his units apart one by one, one by one. But the fact that he had to do that, I was just like, I don't know. I was surprised to me that even this game can have that kind of people they just like I wanna win because I have the right cards. Yeah, in, in, yeah, in yeah. your case, man, don't be a don't be shy. I like I now bring a case of sleeves with me to most tournaments. If it's like, hey, you know, I noticed that your sleeves are pretty beat up or you've got an issue, this is gonna help you a lot in tournaments. Play stupid, right? It comes across as unoffensive. But be like, hey, yeah, your sleeves look like they're really beat up, man. Do you need some new ones? I'm noticing you got some marks on some of those. You know, I'm just wondering, do you need new ones? Because I got some new ones over here. Because you can buy a pack of, what, 50 of them for, for 10 bucks or 5 bucks, and that's enough. Yeah, to like deck. And just be like, hey, offer them up. Because if it's something you've noticed, um, you can even tell them after the game. And be like, hey, just in case. But then if you see he's keep using those sleeves that are marked, then tell your TO, okay? But it's one of those things like if you see someone's making a mistake, there's a difference between making a mistake purposefully and then making a mistake uh, with the intention of cheating. I will normally play stupid about it to act so it's not accusational because I don't want, I don't want to start my game on a bad foot or have something come up. Like, hey, man, can you do me a favor and roll your dice over here? I've got bad eyesight. I actually have 20-20 vision. 
but I'll say I have bad eyesight to make sure they're rolling the dice in the center of the table, right? It's not because I'm accusing them of cheating, but I actually want to see the dice. I don't, you know, right. that's just me as a whole. Um, but those kind of circumstances, you can get around that and without affecting sportsmanship or the attitude of the game by just being like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm noticing there's some stuff going on here, you know, or I'm noticing there's an issue with those. Here you go. It'll save you a headache, and then you also won't have the resentment afterwards, right? Because maybe he'll go, oh, shit, you're right. Do you mind if I do that real quick, or do you want me to do that after the game? You know, and then have a conversation about it. Yeah, um, well, the thing is, with this you know, particular player, even brought a set of dice that was a little too big, but amazing rolling between six or eight sixes all the time. It was not even like, I want to say like an 80% of your die, uh, his dice, it was sixes all the time. Yeah, and you can tell those guys that like look weird, or, or they, well, there's something wrong with those dice because it was just that, amazing you, how, how many six they had. Yeah, you can and Brad, I'll let you go back. I was, I think I was probably about to say the same thing you were. I was going to say in that instance, just uh, you know, roll, ask to roll his dice as your, you know, share dice. Be like, hey, those look kind of fishy. You don't say it necessarily, but like you were saying, uh, uh, play dumb and be like, you mind if we just roll the same dice, you know, just for simplicity. Uh, and then, you know, if they have like a big problem with it, I mean, it still doesn't necessarily like mean that they are cheating. Uh, but it does, it is a little suspect. Um, but just like, yeah, I mean, your dice are rolling really hot and, uh, you mind if we just use the same dice um and i mean no one should really have a problem with it and even you don't even have to do it the whole game if like after a whole round and like you're all both using the same dice and it's not uh anything weird then you know just move on start using your dice or whatnot and um you know go from there uh what were you gonna say uh gary I was going to say, you know, same general idea. Those of you guys um, who know me know I have the opinion that you always roll the same dice, right? Same, like, you pick a set of dice and you roll those the entire game. I know our – Dave, you, you disagree with me on this. You, Dave yep. had, like, seen <laughs> for his leadership dice, and this has actually been a contention in our games um, before, right? So Dave likes to have dice with, like uh, – you know, the no, winter is coming on them, or like an actual like theme for his army, for his leadership dice. I'm the exact opposite. I think you should always roll the same dice. Um, neither one. I don't. It's not really cheating, but it's just one of those things. Like, if someone's always rolling those dice, but Dave's also gone out of his way to always offer those to me to roll when we play, and say, okay, would well, you want to roll these for your leadership dice? I'm cool with that too. Um, if someone's not willing to do that, then that's when I would start having an issue, right? Um, for the most part, it's always been friendly. I'd friendly Josh, uh, Dave, when he does it, be like, yeah, let's roll the, the perfect leadership dice. Come on. But that's just joking. I know for, I know he's not cheating. Um, but if they're not willing to let you roll them, then, then I would go to the TO. They should, all dice should be, it should be an equal playing field. Dice are the idea of a dice is chaos. 
right? You cannot control a dice roll. That's also what keeps the game fun. So, um, you know, if your opponent's not letting you do that and you see that the dice is rolling, they're different and they're always rolling hot, then be like, can I use these for all of my rolls? And then, again, don't have to do it accusationally. If they say no, well, then be like, can you use your normal dice for all your rolls? Um, and that's just, again, play stupid about it at first. It can be funny, you know, and be like, hey, you know, it's kind of weird to get used different dice. Uh, and then if they tell you that their 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 grandmother's dice or whatever, like okay, well, do you mind if I use your grandmother's dice? Because you know I could use the luck. Um, but you don't have to do it in an accusational way. But if it is something that is really affecting the quality of your game, um, don't hesitate, man. Be kind about it, but at the same time, your the, the you having a good time is just as important as your opponent. And those kind of things shouldn't be lingering on your mind. Be worried about what you're going to do on the battlefield, not about all the accoutrements around it that make up the battlefield, right? The dice, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff should kind of be set. There, it, there should always be kind of an equal playing ground, in my opinion. Agreed. And uh, I want to say thank you to our guests for calling in. Uh, we're going to um, uh, move on uh, to the next topic, uh, kind of segue into it uh, since uh, you bring up dice, uh, Gary. So, uh, to kind of expand on what Gary was talking about is, uh, so I have, uh, I got all custom made dice from Chessex and the bulk of them were in the colors of the factions. So I got them for, uh, let's see, I believe every faction, uh, uh, let's see, Starks, Lannisters, Night's Watch, Free Folk, and Neutrals. And I got them with their house mottos instead of the images since Simon already has uh, image dice for their sixes. And then I bought gold versions of each house model uh, motto, so it's uh, a completely gold dice instead of the house colors and with the house motto on it. And I give them away as prize support for winners. Uh, and so I just, because I don't have an abundance of them, I only use uh, two of them for leaderships and for uh, pretty much anything that only requires two or less dice, you know, seeing if going first and whatnot. But it's, uh, it's the same batch technically it's just a different color and whatnot so i never really thought any different of it it was until uh i played and i realized that you know it it can you know be a little uh i guess suspect so it, it kind of goes back to that thing where you're you don't really realize something until it's kind of brought to your attention so uh if someone has a problem or not necessarily even a problem just you know is curious about it and it makes them feel better, and it doesn't really change what you're doing, uh, you know, it's usually in good uh, sportsmanship to just not do it. So, for example, I know for a good chunk of our games uh, between me and Gary, I did use it, but once I kind of realized that he really didn't like it, um, I stopped using it because it really didn't, it's not like it completely affected me. It was just kind of habit. You know, I just, I did it to do it. So, but kind of easing like the the tension you know by something as small as not using them is you know pretty simple and uh you know even if it's just for the you know if you're doing something or or using something that only like one or two people don't like you know you could just not do it when you face them uh and use it when you face others uh and or just completely stop it all together if you don't mind uh, it's just one of those things that uh, you have to like keep be mindful of that it might look you know suspect which you know 
now that you know Gary brought it to my attention, it you know it sort of does. It it looks kind of suspicious, you know, if I have all these dice that look the same, but I only have two designated dice. But to me, it never came to my attention because I have like a hundred of those gold dice and like a like a two hundred. Oh, well, I had like a hundred of that gold dice and then like two hundred of the um of the Stark ones and. So I have like 15 Stark uh, House Stark ones, and or ho- colors of House Stark, and then all the gold ones were designated as prizes. So I only had two of them, uh, which is why um, you know I just I had the two, and I was like, oh, you know, it just it came from a batch of a hundred, so it's not a big deal. But it, all people see is that I have two of them, and then if I'm only using them for those roles, then it looks, you know, it looks a little suspicious. So, just keep that in mind. You know, um, it goes to, it goes back to the thing that you just you don't realize what you're doing and, until you and it's brought to your attention. If uh, and if you're not sure, ask ask your close friends. Be like, hey, is there anything I do that seems kind of iffy, and maybe you're used to it now and you don't care, but is it something that other people might care about? Um, so. Uh, other things it kind of goes into the I'm sorry it goes into the background that you have versus I I have you come from a very strong card gaming background so you're very much worried about the the card element I'm coming from a miniature war gaming background since I've been playing since I was like 12 and for me the dice are everything right for me I actually had the hardest time figuring out cards in this game because cards seem like such a foreign element to me so um you know, I appreciate you calling it out, though. No, yeah, I like I said, it's definitely you know something that I'm appreciative that you brought to my attention because I definitely keep that in mind when I face people. Uh, and like I mentioned, you know, I still use them, but if anyone ever like shows concern, I put them back in the bag because it's it's not really worth the headache because it's not like if I truly am under the impression and I believe what you know my own belief of it is that they don't roll any different then why is it shouldn't be a problem for me to throw them back in the bag because if I truly believe what I'm saying I believe then it's it shouldn't matter if I throw them back in the bag and I just use the other dice now if I truly believe that they were better and I'm going to use them then there's a problem there. <laughs> then I'm either lying to myself or I'm, you know, just being uh, disingenuous. So I definitely appreciate you bringing it to my attention. Uh, I definitely do have a big, um, a very long uh, uh, tabletop. It's just uh, I had taken a pretty long hiatus to play card games. Uh, so it was, I guess, kind of getting back into it that, you know, some of that stuff never really, like, came to I should say a lot came to my attention but little stuff like that just like one or two things you know kind of skirted by and fell through you know the filters uh and didn't, you know I just didn't catch them um you know cuz I'm kind of like you Gary I've been playing since uh man I was 8 so like 23 years or something like that now um started with 40k and whatnot and uh I never got into fantasy I always wanted to but I was so into 40k it never came around um but but yeah, I definitely appreciate you bringing it up because it's definitely helped with other games where people have shown concern. Because um, it goes a long way, you know. As soon if they say if they bring it up, um, and you either offer to let them use it or you throw it and you go, yeah, that's no problem. You throw it back in the bag. It goes a lot a long way, you know, it, to 
to see their face go like, oh, man, I'm surprised you didn't make a fuss about it. Um, so, and that, you know, that can go with, like, yeah. any tool. They can go with cards, uh, you know, putting sleeves on. You know, if you truly believe that there is no problem, then it shouldn't be an issue and just do it. You know, it'll save you a bunch of, a lot of, you know, headache in the future. Um, other things yeah, uh, with ice, sports, uh, to, yeah. Right. Sorry, it's go ahead. Sports, it's part of sportsmanship. If it's if you know it's going to bug your opponent, then why do it, right? There's pick your battles. You're about to have yep. a battle with this person, right? Let's <laughs> make sure the battle is on the battlefield and not over something silly like dice or card sleeves, that kind of thing. Make it so it's so, like if you're gonna have, you know, you're about to fight this person, but let's keep everything. Let's try and keep it fun, right? So if you can do something yep. that will help your opponent not be annoyed then that's probably a good thing because maybe they're maybe they've been burned on it before maybe they've had an opponent who did use weighted dice or did cheat with card sleeves uh, or did mismeasure pivots that kind of thing and maybe they're very sensitive about it you know that's where being a good opponent is realizing that everybody is coming from a different background yeah and definitely keep uh you know if you're suspicious of something that might be doing try to err on the side of, you know, uh, that they're innocent, you know, try, try not to be like, oh man, they're cheating or they, they have to be cheating, especially if their dice are rolling super hot. I mean, it happens. This is a game of dice. You know, sometimes you just roll really bad and your opponent rolls really well, especially if you're rolling really bad, uh, mentally, I, I don't know if you've, if anyone out there has done this, if you're rolling really bad and then let's say, like for the first round and it sticks out really bad the next couple rounds or just the entirety of the, of that game, your brain will pick out the bad rolls, even if it's average. So I suggest if that starts happening, if you roll really bad a couple times to then separate your dice and show yourself that it's pretty consistent because uh, if you roll your dice, you see all those ones, but then you separate them out and you trade one for six, five for two, three for four, you will find that you're actually rolling average um, most of the time. But because you got yourself in a funk, and I do this too, uh, if you roll really bad, your brain is going to key in on those bad dice and it will you'll go down this bad rabbit hole of just thinking you've rolled so bad the entire game when you might be rolling below average, but it's usually just barely below average, you know, in the, in the consistent or in the entirety of the game, you know, of the averages of all your rolls. So definitely try to keep that mindset, try to keep like a, a glass half full and not, you know, assume your opponent is rolling, uh, you know, loaded dice. Cause maybe, you're not only keying in on the misses of your own dice, thinking you're rolling extremely bad, but you're keying in on their good dice when they're barely rolling above average. So that's something definitely to get like into the habit of if you know if you feel kind of down on your dice, just start separating them after a roll to show your brain that you're rolling fine. It's to not let a couple bad rolls get you down and you will be surprised that the morale, you know, your, your own self-esteem can the fight, uh, especially in this game, you know, you're really never out of the fight. I can't tell you how many, um, 
you know, games I've played where I've come back from the brink where in all intents and purposes I should have lost. But, you know, the dice just happened to be on my the dice, the cards, you know, just the situation happened to be on my side. A couple other things I want to bring up, though, is uh, um, determining with your opponent what is cocked and what is not and staying consistent throughout the game. Normally, I say if it lands, you know, I'll, I'll usually be pretty in, uh, assertive with, hey, this is what I consider cocked and this is not. And then if they don't have a problem, then that's what it is. But if they have, like, a counter, I have no problem. I just want it to be consistent. I don't want it to be like, oh, man, well, you said those were cocked, but that one isn't. And, you know, just a, you know, it's a preventative measure uh, to just determine early or before the game starts what's cocked. Um, another thing is uh, this one I'm pretty big about, and that's off the table. Uh, or off of whatever's designated. If your opponent says, hey, I'm using a dice tray, well, in my opinion, whatever falls out of that dice tray doesn't count. Um, I don't care if they use a dice tray or not. I just want it to be consistent um, and or off the table. My my big thing is off the table always never counts. I That one, I, I would have to admit, is not up to debate with me. If it's off the table, it's it needs to be re-rolled, and that re-roll can be as many times. If you keep missing the table, uh, I suggest rolling softer. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, just determining, like, the air designated area for rolling and what is considered, you know, the where what counts. Uh, and then other thing I believe our first caller brought up was misses, not hits. If it's a hit, don't touch it. Leave it there for your opponent. Only pick up your misses because obviously if it's a miss, then who cares if you touched it? Uh, your opponent doesn't care usually about the misses if you accidentally, you know, you can't be like, oh, man, you picked up all those misses. It's like, well, who cares? You you want to know what hit. And you're obviously being very transparent if you just leave the miss, or the hits for your opponent to see untouched. Um, also, I think Gary brought up rolling it visibly to your opponent is big. Um, it it takes away a lot of, uh, um, you know, any doubts that there might have been a miss, especially because you want both players to be seeing the roll. Because what if I roll and I go, all right, awesome, I hit with 6 out of 10. And your opponent goes, oh, wait, wait, you did you forget? You're at minus 1. You know, oh, you know, you're right. Okay, I only hit with 4. You... If all if the only person that can see the dice is you, you take away uh, the potential of two pairs of eyes making corrections on your rolls. And a big thing with that is dice trays can prevent a lot of you know the visibility. So definitely keep that in mind um, when you're uh, you know using a dice tray or not, because usually you're going to have to put that dice tray somewhere in the middle of the table a lot of the times because the edges will usually always cover up any dice that are at the edge, even if the person is standing or tall or whatnot. So, uh, yeah, uh, Brett, what do you think? Uh, anything I missed on the dice? No, I think, I think you and Gary pretty well covered it. <clears throat> anything, anything that I have is just beating a dead horse, honestly. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I've got that can go on that is, um, one, shake them. Don't let, Make use the dice roll. Enjoy the dice roll. You're playing a dice game. Don't anybody who drops their dice should be shot. Uh, just my general rule. Also, <laughs> unless 
unless someone is being a dork, don't touch my dice. Um, a dice is like your woman. You just, it's yours. Don't, you don't really touch the other man's dice as, as a rule. Um, that's, you know, just me personally. Unless there's a question about them, at which point feel free to, you know, whatever. But, um, and last, if it lands, it's got to land flat. That's my rule. So, uh, that's how I always call it at the beginning of the game. And say, guys, just make sure we're clear if a dice has got to land flat for me. If it lands on a piece of terrain, and even though it's obviously a five, if it landed on it so it's slightly topped, I re-roll those, but I call that at the end of the game. So just set your parameter ahead of time. Try to remove anything that has to be interpreted, right? Because interpretation, it's like rules. Uh, to be honest, sometimes a poorly written rule can be interpreted five different ways. So you don't want that to be the way with dice rolls, especially an important dice roll, like a pen check or something. Um, and just set Agreed. it ahead Agreed. And that's kind of, you know, back to what I was saying about, uh, you know, determining, you know, what is considered cocked. You know, I wouldn't present what Gary just said personally, but if he countered with that, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I don't really care. I mean, that's not usually how I play, but I, as long as it's consistent, I'm all for it. Um, and really, I mean, before the game starts, you really shouldn't, uh, you know, it really shouldn't be a big issue. Um, but to wrap up uh, on our very last uh, topic is measuring. This one will be pretty quick because uh, we want to wrap up the show here. It's getting kind of long. Um, measuring just try to make sure you're always measuring the same way. Uh, and usually I like to tell my opponent or even mostly new people how to measure is I like to measure with the, let's say the one away from my unit on the measuring stick. That way um, my opponent can see uh, how many inches I'm moving because let's say I move six inches and I put the one away from me. That means they see the six touching my tray and then they, it ends with me going to the one. They don't have to do any math in their head because if I do it the reverse and I start at the seven going up to the 12, uh, they're like, okay, well, you know, so, uh, like so the, that one is a lot easier because it's like right in the middle of the, um, of the ruler. But, you know, especially if I'm, only going however many inches and I have to do the math granted it's something you could definitely get used to but I, I find that uh, just doing it the other way helps prevent people from having to do the math and it's a lot more transparent with how many actual inches you've moved um, but uh, yeah just keep that in mind try to measure always they're always measure the same way it doesn't necessarily have to be the way I just uh, just mentioned but being consistent and obviously correct uh, is key. Um, if you are unsure of a move because of intervening trays and units and whatnot, uh, mark where you were, like as we mentioned before, either with a ruler uh, like I do or with dice, or you can even do it with a pivot uh, arc or something. Um, that way, if you do move your distance and you realize it's illegal somehow, uh, you can move back to your starting point and try again uh, with a different move. So um, I think we're going to kind of end there because I don't think there's like a ton uh, to do with measuring. Well, uh, I'll give uh, get it over to Gary real quick if you wanted to add one last thing before we do our wrap-up. Biggest thing with movement, guys, is charges. 
it's one of those things like Brett talked about earlier, declare your intention, right? So uh, don't just move units around. Be like, yeah, I can pivot and just go over here. Be intentional. So move it. So rotate the unit. Actually break out the measure. Move it so it's obvious. Um, and then before you ever roll a dice, make sure you know what the intention of the dice is for. So don't roll a charge before you know what you need to make the charge, right? Um, it makes for a very – it's a much more contentious thing because if you roll the five but you needed a six and it's very close, it's better to have agreed upon it before you roll the dice, right? That way there's no contention in it because otherwise the person might say, well, if I pivot more this way, then I'm going to get it. Um, make it clean measure before you need you need to make the charge dice roll so that way you know exactly what you need uh, it'll give it'll save you in a contentious like last table environment especially with tournaments that do have like sportsmanship um being upfront about that stuff will help you out tremendously agreed and yeah and make sure you do your full like if it's not guaranteed that you're going to get in make sure you do your pivot properly to uh, align so that where your trajectory is going to touch base. Because remember, if you if you don't pivot, and then even though you can see them, but if you roll and you move straight, you don't touch your intended target. That's that's not how you know. I know it's in the rules, and it's not like that's something that is not covered in the rules. It's in there, but a lot of people just oh okay, I, I only need like a two or better. Well, it's like well, technically you could still roll that one, and you're not pivoted yet, so you could pivot in a different way than you would have. So just make sure you're... Uh, I, I only bring this up because I've seen it happen uh, a little more than most other uh, things um, that are missed. And that's just make sure you're pivoting because you know uh, you do have to move in the trajectory of wherever your pivot ended before you roll that die. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then one very quick thing I want to mention with cards. Make sure your piles are distinguishable and visible and um, so you have your discard pile, your move from game pile, which I think only really applies to uh, um, neutrals, and then the new Baratheon uh, NC, uh, or, uh, commander, uh, and then your hand. Um, remember that your discard pile is always uh, um, open knowledge. Uh, this is big with card games as well. So if, let's say, I play an ability that lets me pull a card out of my discard pile, you have to show your opponent because you both have visibility to that deck. So unless you're expecting your opponent to walk around the table and look over your shoulder to see what you pull out, it's it's a public knowledge. So whatever you pick, um, and that just goes along with uh, gaming etiquette, you know, this topic of, you know, if your opponent asks, tell them what you picked. Uh, if you have to search your deck for anything, um, if it specifically tells you what, kind of card you have to go get you have to show them that you have to show them the card as proof that you went and got the proper card so if it's like you have to go get a named card or a card that's you know a commander card you have to show it to them to prove that it's a commander card if it says to go get a certain type whereas if it's uh if it just says get any card you want then you don't have to show because obviously it's anyone you want um, and this is just how card games are in general. This is how you know, like the TCGs are played. Uh, that if it calls out a specific instance of a type of card, you have to prove it by showing it. If it's general and could be anything, you don't. 
So just wanted to touch on that real quick before we wrapped up. So uh, as we wrap up, guys, uh, I wanted to give shout-outs again to your local game stores. Make sure you're, you know, supporting them the best you can, and especially if, uh, you know, you know they're smaller and definitely could use the help. Call them, email them, see what they can do, if they could do shipping or curbside pickup, uh, gift cards, if maybe they don't have, like, your Ice and Fire product in yet. Uh, I mean, we're stuck at home and uh, can't really get a lot of in-person games in anyways, so getting your product like super quick is not super important. I I know uh, I'm itching to get the new Baratheon Hero Boxes, but I purposely have not bought them yet because my local uh, has been unable to get them in. So definitely uh, keep your locals in mind. Uh, If you don't have a local and you usually just go online to buy something, definitely uh, go to Family Time Games. Shane, I'm sure, would appreciate your business and, you know, help him out. He's a huge supporter of the Ice and Fire community. He's, uh, you know, he's big into this game as well, even as an owner, and he plays a ton. Uh, His wife is amazing. I've met her a bunch of times, and she's currently making masks. Uh, Those links for both the masks and his site should be on our page, so definitely check those out. Um, Thank you, uh, Gary, for coming on. I know you have a lot of insight and a lot of experience in just you know, gaming in general, especially uh, this one and, you know, tabletop games. Um, uh, let's see. Definitely like and share our page. Uh, we're still sitting a little shy of that 500. Trust me, I want to give away these starters. I want to be able to help you guys out and give you out product. Um, so I definitely want to hit those likes and then, you know, give out some of these starter boxes and uh, unit boxes. Um so like and share the page out the best you can. Share it to any groups that I might not be in. Maybe if you have, like, uh, your state groups. Um, I think I'm only in Wisconsin, Chicago, and Indiana, and then, like, Canada. So if you have your own state group, um, share it in there. Maybe add me to it, then I can uh, share out to those. Uh, you'd be surprised uh, how many people, you know, we have, like, 7,000 people or something like that uh, in our um, main Facebook group, and I think we only have like four, 400 and something likes. So there's definitely a lot of people out there that don't know we even really exist yet. Every Tuesday, 8 o'clock, live, definitely give us a call. Um, we had two callers on tonight, which is awesome. We definitely want to hear from you guys. That's why we do the show the way we do it. We want to get you guys on. We want to, like, talk to you. We want to kind of, you know, not be in our own little bubble constantly talking to each other uh, about things. We want to get outside opinions. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, Thank all my hosts for coming on. You guys are awesome. We do this for you guys. We definitely don't really expect anything in return. Just, uh, you know, listen to us, and that's, you know, that's the best thing you can do. Um, Again, thank you, Gary, for coming on. Um, And this is the Small Council, and it is dismissed.